How we doing, traders? Welcome back to the one and only SPACs Attack, where we talk everything SPACs. And I know that a lot of people have been talking about the Wall Street's bet stocks, I-R-N-T. Yes, we'll get into that. We'll cover that. We'll talk about some other ones potentially moving. I even saw one today redeemed at 77%. A lot of this has had to do with the redemptions, the different floats. And of course, you know, we've been seeing kind of more of the social aspect coming into these names. Stay tuned, guys. We got a great interview today. Of course, I'm going to bring Chris on. And like always, you guys do me the favor and start us up with a thumbs up. Let's get SPAX Attack started. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. All right, traders, let's go ahead. Let's bring on my friend, my brother, the brains of this show, Chris Ketchy. What's going on, man? Hey, Mitch, how we doing on this uh, fine Thursday? Hey, man, there's one thing I, I definitely want to point out is, you know, we talk a lot of SPACs, but you have another show also, right? Chris, have you been working I on Lately. I do. So we recently launched the Roadmap, a new NFT show here on Benzinga. It airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time. I mean, Mitch, we, we've seen NFTs just really take off this year. So we're providing, you know, education, news stories, and also doing some interviews with some of the top uh, NFT launches. We've we've got a great interview on today's show at two o'clock. Yes, there's one thing that I definitely say is that Chris covers it all. He's not just in the SPAC land. He's he's covering trending stocks, trending assets, now covering into the NFTs. Check it out, guys. I, I know I'll be there at the roadmap today, and I'll be looking forward to it. But let's go ahead. Let's do what we do best, Chris. Let's get back to the SPACs and tell us what's going on in the headlines out there and take us back to those headlines. All right, guys. Yeah, so let's start off uh, headlines today with some analyst notes, right? So Lilium, ticker L-I-L-M, which recently completed the de-spacking process. Piper Sandler initiating coverage with an overweight rating and a price target of $17. Remember, there's several uh, EVTOL companies out there that have gone public via SPAC. Uh, it looks like Piper Sandler, you know, favoring Lilium over some of the competitors. And one of our movers yesterday, Ride, right? Lordstown Motors, R-I-D-E. Um, Bank of America downgrading shares to underperform today. Not a huge surprise. You know, Lordstown Motors has a lot going on right now. Uh, it's going to need some money to keep up with that business plan. So Bank of America, you know, heading to the, the sidelines here. And then also Fisker, FSR, Bank of America, downgrading Fisker to neutral, lowering that price target to $18.00. This one was a bit more of a surprise, right? Because they've been pretty bullish on Fisker um, all year. We have Fisker shares down about 8% today. And the big reason is Bank of America calls out competition, right? Saying that there's a lot of players in the market, which is surprising because we've known that all along, right? But Fisker's got some partnerships, right, with Foxconn and Magna. So uh, I, I still remain bullish on that name. But again, we'll see, um, you know, uh, Bank of America out downgrading. And then Humasite, H-U-M-A, uh, Piper Sandler initiating coverage with an overweight rating and a $17 price target. So another one there to uh, keep on watch. 
Then we have DMYQ. So uh, Planet is the company going public with DMYQ. We had, you know, Will on the show last week. So Planet Labs reported second quarter sales of $30.4 million, up 19% year over year, and also reiterated guidance of $130 million for the full fiscal year. So again, if you haven't seen that interview, make sure you go back and watch. We got to hear all about, you know, their, their data and subscription service. Uh, satellites and, you know, how they're helping companies and the government, um, you know, with imaging. Then we've got uh, ELMS, Electric Last Mile Solutions. So they announced today uh, the opening of a new Asia Pacific Operations Center. Um, So they said that this will further expand their global footprint and will serve as a hub for the supply chain and logistics management in Shanghai, They're set to begin production of their urban delivery class one commercial electric vehicle later this month at their Indiana facility. Uh, So keep an eye out. We we see these EV plays, you know, but getting the international expansion, always a plus um, going forward. Then Clover Health, CLOV, they announced today that they'll provide in-home COVID-19 vaccinations to Medicare Advantage members. Um, you know, a headline to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, they have been expanding those Medicare uh, Advantage customers and now, you know, helping them get vaccinated directly from their home. An NGAB, so uh, Northern Genesis Acquisition 2, their partner Embark Truck um, announced a partnership with Ryder um, for 100 freight transfer points for autonomous fleets. Um, so, again, we talk about partnerships in the EV space all the time. Keep an eye out on that one. And DMYI, another DMY tech spec here, uh, their partner IonQ announced a uh, collaboration with Accenture. Um, this is a multi-year strategic relationship to help enterprises explore how quantum computing will transform their business and industries. You know, we've seen IonQ partner, um, you know, with others. They're available to use on Amazon Web Service, Google Cloud, and Microsoft Azure. Um, They're really a leader, right, in the quantum computing uh, market. So this is big news for them, though, landing another partnership. Um, We, of course, had Peter on the show not too long ago and also heard from Niccolo DeMasi from DMY. So uh, if you did not see those interviews, go ahead and search for IonQ Benzinga, uh, you know, in the search bar and find out more about that company. Then we have Lucid Group, LCID, shares trading higher today. Um, They are out with their official EPA range ratings um, for the Lucid Air uh, luxury sedan, right, which is expected to launch later this year. So uh, 520 miles, that's the first rating beyond 500 miles, and it's actually 100 more miles than the Tesla Model S long range. So we had heard, you know, from Lucid before that they were really attempting to do this long, long range. And here it is, um, their Dream Edition performance, also 471 miles and, and another one at 516 miles. So, you know, their their CEO is out, you know, with the statement today and they are ready to go. And, you know, they're getting more and more comparisons to Tesla. And this will, of course, you know, further Further, those uh, you know relationship uh, comparisons between the two companies, <clears throat> and then we did get one deal last night. Um, this was a, a deal announced at four o'clock with a uh, a SEC filing, right? So a smaller deal, 
ARTA announcing a deal with Prenetics, which is a global leader in genomic and diagnostic testing. Um, they are a multi-product healthcare ecosystem. And it did say in the filing that they do work on rapid diagnostics for COVID-19 and other infectious diseases. Um, they've performed more than 5 million tests globally. They will use the proceeds from the SPAC deal to help with acquisitions, R&D, and also geographic expansion into the U.S. Um, so currently, you know, this company is heavy international Expected revenue this year, $205 million, up 215%, and $272 million in fiscal 2022. Deal values the company at $1.25 billion. And then our big deal this morning announced, uh, this one was rumored yesterday, ticker is PPGH. So this is battery swap company GoGoRow, um, you know, which is uh, currently has a presence in Taiwan, but they are expanding into China and India. The deal values the company at $2.35 billion. Um, the pipe includes Foxconn and also GoTo Group, which is the largest technology group in Indonesia. So current PPGH shareholders will own 13.1% of that new company, expected to close in the first quarter of 2022. So again, GoGoRo is a battery swapping solution. So they help with two-wheel vehicles. They provide you know, the hardware, they also provide software and those battery swapping stations throughout the country. So they have over 400,000 subscribers since launching. They've provided over 200 million battery swaps since launching. They have current partnerships with Yamaha and some other big brands over in Asia. Um, you know, their, their founder uh, previously came from Microsoft where he helped Xbox and also he worked at HTC where he helped them with their global smartphone. So definitely some tech experience there. Um, they're gonna use the proceeds from this to help with their international expansion. So uh, China is up first in uh, fourth quarter of this year and then India the fourth quarter of next year. So they already signed partnerships. So in China, they're partnered with uh, Yadea, the world's largest electric two wheel maker and also DCJ, the number one gas-powered two-wheel maker. So Yadea has a 23% market share in China right now. And China is the largest electric two-wheel vehicle market. They have 325 million on the road. Right now, a GoGo Row is only in Taiwan where they, the 14 million two-wheel vehicles are on the road. So definitely huge expansion there. And in India, 165 million on the road. Uh, this company had revenue of $364 million last year. They're targeting $327 million this year, $500 in fiscal 2022. Uh, that's our deals. And then we turned to some boats. As Mitch mentioned, you know, at the top of the show, we did get some shareholder results. So we have DEH approving their merger with Vicarious Surgical, 77.5 shares redeemed. That deal will close tomorrow. And then ROT approving their merger with Sarco's Robotics. That deal will close next week. Uh, I have not seen a redemption amount. And then CTAC, which is merging with Core, they announced 90.39% of shares were redeemed. And they're actually postponing their shareholder meeting to September 22nd next week. Um, so CTAC definitely keep an eye out on here with that heavy redemption. And then lastly, Mitch, I know it, uh, probably one of the first topics we want to hit on, we have RSI, Rush Street Interactive, the news out yesterday that uh, Fanatics, 
right, who we've talked about recently. They ended trading card deals, took them away from Tops and Panini. They're launching sports betting, and they have held talks with Rush Street over a potential buyout. Um, you know, I, Mitch, I can't say enough, right? We've been calling Rush Street out for a long time. Um, I highlighted it in an article as a buyout uh, target when it was $10, and now we're almost to 20 um, what do you think of uh, Rush Street? You know, no surprise here that uh, Fanatics has held talks, right? I mean, that's no surprise. I mean, one of the things that we've been seeing is Fanatics making steps on up and trying to, you know, differentiate than just a merch uh, provider, right? And so they, they, they did the step up into the cards and MLB, and that kind of gave way to, you know, what else do they want to do with sports, right? And so I think sports betting completely makes sense. The brand name it already has that recognition, and I think it's a good brand. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, Fanatics, it, it, it seems to make sense. And one of the things is they do have partnerships with just every league. Uh, for the merchandise and that gives them an ability you know whether it be making nfts or an ability to show off product like actual nfl product with their sports betting platform and it kind of makes sense for them to lean this way now is rush street going to be the one i think it, it it sounds like that's what they're going for but there is another company that was mentioned do you have that other company's name i don't in front of me it was a european betting yeah, name that i actually did not know um prior to yesterday but you know so i don't know if that other company you know has the full tech stack right but that was something we highlighted during our interview right with um nicolo on the rush street merger was that they have that proprietary technology stack you're seeing all these betting companies try to vertically integrate themselves by having that technology that can power their own platform. So I would give Rush Street the edge here, but again, I don't know enough about that other company. But real quick, Mitch, I mean, you you hit it, right? You said Fanatics, built-in brand awareness, right? And they have those deals with those different leagues. With that comes customers, right? What's the biggest problem and the issue in sports betting market, right? Customer acquisition. These companies are spending so much money, right? Promo money, right? Which Mitch, I mean, you and I know a lot about the promo money, right? From sports betting companies. They're doing commercials on TV. Fanatics, when they launch either their own sports betting platform or partner with someone, they have a built-in customer base that they can target. That's how DraftKings, right? Had such a lead. They had that built-in daily fantasy customer base. That's how Barstool Sports, right? When they launched their betting app, they had a built-in fan base. I mean, that's so important to already have the customers there. All you have to do is send them the link. Say, hey, download our app. Come play. Come sign up. So, uh, you know, I, I like Fanatics getting into it here. And that that's a, a company that could just be a sports powerhouse between, you know, sports betting, trading cards, merchandise, and as you said, Mitch, maybe NFTs in the future. Yeah, we'll be watching to see what happens with the RSI. But have you taken a look today at the watch list? Because we got some rockets moving out there. Um, you know, of course, RSI moved up overnight. But did you see OPAD? Look at this move. I was actually, and I'm going to be as honest as I can be here. I was actually thinking about buying it here at 1030. But I felt like, you know, I, I was talking about this all morning long on live trading and on pre-market prep. I was talking even with Spencer. I was like, these, these seems like more like a SPAC squeeze that Wall Street is uh, Wall Street bets is more taking advantage of than 
dumb actually looking at these stocks. They're just they're just seeing the ones that they can actually run. And I, I think they're picking on OPAD today, as you guys can see. From 1030 is this bar right here. That's where it popped. I was thinking about buying it, but I was like, man, I'm going to talk a lot about this probably on SPACs in, in about 10 minutes. Let me not do that. So let, let, let's watch what happens in, in, in just that Look at that volume, period. Mitch, Look that volume that. coming in. I mean, so OPAD, the, you know, this is this is completely due to, you know, traders getting into it and the, the float size, right, on that heavy redemption. Because if you look at open door, shares are only up like 3% today. If you look at Zillow, shares are flat. So this is not an industry or a sector trade, right? This is the one, you know, moving on that. And OPAD did have higher redemption, but it also came with the higher float to begin with. So I actually didn't get into this one. I did call it out, you know, the week before saying I thought it would have heavy redemption, uh, but never played it. This was SPNV, right? And if you got in when I, you know, mentioned it on the show, it was about 10. And I'm a little surprised we're seeing that big of a lift today. But Mitch, everyone is getting into these D-SPAC names now. And if you look at that watch list, I mean, we got some some double-digit gainers today. Yeah, TMMs, TMC that was doing really well. It did turn around now after that 13 push. But this one was doing well in the pre-market. It had made a massive move from about $10 all the way to 15 just in the pre-market. Um, IRNT even pushed on up at the open. This has been such a rocket. Looks like OPAD is the favorite for today. Uh, IRNT coming down there. We'll, we'll take a look at these. But then even some that we just recently talked about, you know, EFTR uh, making big moves on up. Black Sky pushing up there towards 13 today. Um, and DEH, we talked about that one. Heavy redemption already there. We'll see what happens with this one, see if it's the next one that takes off. I just wanted to mention some of the big movers because, hey, we're finally starting to see some action and some interest. And if Wall Street Bets is coming into these, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely see how these react. As you can see, OPAD was on a lot of people's radars today and still going up. I think it was at past 50% at one point on the day. So we'll see how it ends in the day. But, uh, I mean... Definitely, we're getting some movers out there, Chris. Definitely. And, you know, we'll talk about more of those at the end of the show today. But we have an exciting interview to get to on today's show, Mitch. What do you think? All right. I'll definitely I'll get you started in that interview. But like always, guys, you guys do us a favor. While, as we get you guys these interviews, and I mean, we've done interviews all week long. You guys do us a favor. Hit the thumbs up because that's what definitely we appreciate as a thanks for reaching out and getting the information that you guys need to be informed traders. Let's go ahead and unlock these SPACs. Up next, we got Pico. We're going to get into it here with the chairman and founder and CEO. I'm going to let Chris lead on this one. And like always, Chris, do what you do best. Unlock those SPACs. All right, guys. Super excited. Another exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. Joining us on the show today, we have Jared Euster, the chairman, founder, and co-CEO of Pico. That company is going public via SPAC merger with FTAC, Athena Acquisition Corp, ticker FTAA. Jared, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris uh, and Mitch. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks so much. 
Awesome. Well, Jared, let, let's dive into questions here. We are SPACs attack. We, we like to talk about SPACs and de-SPACs, as you just heard, and all those great headlines today. So one of the first questions we always like to ask, you know, and uh, especially relevant with you being the founder, the chairman, and the co-CEO of Pico is why the decision to go public via SPAC? And was the company also considering a traditional IPO? Uh, certainly. So we've grown consistently over the past 11 years since inception. And I believe we're at another major inflection point. It's really a very exciting time uh, here at Pico. Uh, and we're thrilled to partner with uh, Betsy Cohen and uh, uh, the uh, FinTech Acquisition Corp. So maybe just to give a little bit of history, uh, we've grown, as I mentioned, consistently since, since inception. And two years ago, we acquired a company called Corval, uh, which has been a, a significant success, a uh, great addition to our platform. And uh, last year, uh, in the, the summer of 2020, we completed the integration and started seeing more opportunities for acquisitions to add to our platform. So coming into this year, uh, we had a couple of opportunities in the M&A space. And the question was how to fund those opportunities, whether uh, to uh, look in the private markets uh, for equity uh, raise or to uh, look at debt. And then we had this opportunity we were introduced to Betsy and her team. And it was a tremendous opportunity to partner with someone who you know quite well, who is a Hall of Famer uh, uh, for uh, Benzinga's uh, SPAC Hall of Fame. She's got great expertise in financial services and financial services technology. She's done 13 SPACs and uh, seven business combinations. So it was really more about the opportunity to partner with her. Uh, and then also the additional benefit of being able to not only talk about our past uh, success, but to give uh, forward-looking projections as well. Yeah, awesome call out there. Yeah, we, we've had Betsy and Daniel both on SPACs Attack here. You know, uh, they, they have a great eye for these fintech companies, right? So that's got to be some great validation for you and your team, you know, that they were interested in Pico, a, as you said, a member of our SPAC Hall of Fame here on SPACs Attack. So for viewers out there who don't know Pico, you know, this company uses uh, cloud data and analytics to support you know, a big group of financial institutions. Can you talk and, you know, just give us a, a brief summary here of Pico before we dive into all the, the individual questions here? Yeah, sure. So, so I'll give you a brief overview. And then if, if, if it's worthwhile, I can talk about some of the really important macro trends that, that we're trying to solve for. So uh, uh, in summary, uh, we are a leading provider of technology services for the financial markets community globally. Uh, we provide what we call mission critical uh, markets infrastructure, electronic connectivity to global markets, and then we provide data. So we have uh, the majority of the global exchange data feeds on our network. And then we provide analytics uh, on top of that to provide insight. Uh, we have a global presence of 47 market centers and growing towards completeness to provide access to all liquid and electronic markets. And we have access to over 300 market venues across 26 countries. Uh, additionally, we've attracted a marquee client base of over 400 clients, including 24 of the top 25 global banks, 36 exchanges, top electronic market makers, hedge funds, asset managers, retail brokers, as well as financial technology data and service providers. 
Awesome. So yeah, some of those macro trends I'm seeing, you know, one of the big sections mentioned in the presentation is regulatory overhead. You know, we hear a lot about, you know, new regulations coming. How can a company like Pico, you know, really see growth from this regulatory overhead? Yeah, so, so, so maybe I, 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 what we do is we try to simplify access to markets and uh, we provide uh, the underlying technology for large financial institutions to house their trading applications, get access to liquid electronic markets, as well as, well as data. So some of the really important trends that we've been seeing, just to take you through, there's the continued ongoing electronic, electronification of markets across all asset classes, uh, as well as global markets. So it started with equities 15, over 15 years ago, and then with, FF, and then with futures and options, and then FX, and now we're seeing electronification of fixed income markets as well. We're also seeing some of the smaller emerging markets, uh, such as Mexico, Middle East, China, other markets becoming electronic. And you know, our vision and strategy, again, is to provide access in a seamless manner to these global electronic markets. The other important trend is what we call the need and requirement for global borderless trading and market access. Uh, clients want more and more to access global markets from anywhere to anywhere. And our global financial services network, our financial services cloud, uh, and the data distribution provides access to that. Uh, you know, then, then another important trend, banks and financial institutions are needing to modernize and what we call cloudify their aging IT systems. So IT strategies are shifting toward hybrid and multi-cloud with a focus on automation, data, analytics, and AI. And we st we've seen this starting to play out across consumer finance and payment processing where cloud adoption has been prevalent. However, institutional finance and capital markets are substantially lagging behind as they try to transition from legacy markets infrastructure to upgrade, but also to be able to consume massive amounts of data. Uh, a couple more trends, you know, on that slide that really caught my eye were, you know, obviously the the rise of fintech, right? We've seen, you know, growth in fintech companies. We've seen a lot of them go public. And then it also mentions the unbundling of banks. Can you just talk a little bit about those two trends for us? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, one of the bigger trends that I would say is, is, you know, clients want a trusted, globally comprehensive technology partner but also a technology partner who understands their business, understands market structure, understands data, as well as regulatory, regulatory and compliance requirements, and how to, how to apply technology solutions. So our experienced leadership team uh, consists of uh, people who have run trading businesses, run data businesses for financial services, and understands market structure, but also how to apply technology solutions uh, to solve uh, for regulatory and, and compliance requirements. You, you mentioned a little bit on the, the customers, you know, for Pico, right? So over 400 customers, and obviously one of the big highlights is 24 of the top 25 banks. Um, you know, anytime you can put that in your, your presentation that, you know, you have that many of the top of any sector, it's got to be a great win. Can you just highlight, you know, uh, how long has Pico worked with some of these customers or these long-term deals? And how is Pico able to really capture, you know, that strong of share amongst the top performers? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've been very fortunate to uh, have a marquee client base uh, across these different client segments and specifically to work with some of the top global banks. 
Uh, we've been working with uh, some of them for over eight years now uh, and continue to add more products and services. So you know, a big uh, value that we bring in addition to providing uh, engineering excellence, uh, great technology, really important to have uh, operational excellence, uh, resilience, uh, but also uh, you know, time to market in terms of delivering solutions. The market is changing uh, so rapidly and to be able to, uh, uh, you know, to, to provide solutions in a timely fashion, uh, to be able to provision clients uh, rapidly. You know, there are things that we can do for these large institutions in weeks to months that would take them a year, year and a half to, to accomplish. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, the ability to provide them uh, more services globally, uh, the geographic scope, uh, uh, and what we're finding, uh, which, which ties into our M&A strategy, is, you know, our clients are steering us towards what technologies they want us to integrate onto our platform uh, and even to, to uh, look to, to acquire uh, to have as part, part of our organization. So, you know, one of the items with a company going public, right, is that, you know, now it's about growth, right? We, we've heard a lot about, you know, what, what Pico's done, which has been great, but I'm sure you got people out there that want to know what's ahead. So I, I want to turn to growth for a minute. So, you know, one of the items mentioned in the presentation is cross-selling, right? A cross-selling opportunity, which we hear a lot in the fintech space. So it looks like right now, 47% of your customers, you know, use more than one product. What are Pico's plans on really growing this cross-selling opportunity to get more customers to use multiple products? Uh, yeah, great, great question. So uh, firstly is to uh, help them uh, across asset classes. So the world is not only truly global, it is multi-asset asset class as well as electronic. So uh, helping our clients expand into other asset classes uh, and use our services across asset class. We've seen a significant amount of growth over the last couple of years in FX, and we're seeing that in fixed income as well. And then expanding uh, geographically as well. Uh, we're, we're in 47 market centers. That's up from 32 in 2018. We've made significant investments uh, with infrastructure globally, but also connectivity and then adding data feeds. So geographic expansion is a, is a big part of our, our, our opportunities for cross-selling. Uh, and then just extending our product, either organically building uh, internally or through acquisition as well. Uh, we did a partnership recently, uh, strategic partnership with Intel. Uh, we are rolling out uh, with our analytics platform, uh, 100 gig real-time data capture and artificial intelligence. Uh, it's extremely unique and differentiating, and we're using Intel's Ice Lake processor to roll that out. Um, uh, in addition, uh, we're working with Intel on a financial services lab uh, with several of, our, uh, several of our clients to uh, test high-performance computing, different processors, and for benchmarking as well. Awesome. So, you know, I mentioned that Pico works with 24 of the largest 25 banks. There was talk in the presentation of, you know, one of the areas of growth focusing on maybe some of the smaller customers, right? Like regional banks. So why could, you know, the smaller regional banks be important to get into Pico's ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's important because uh, we provide services where these participants interact with each other. So we have eight different client segments uh, and on an almost daily basis, we get requests for banks to connect to venues or market makers 
uh, or for us to connect their clients to them. Uh, and for regional banks who don't have the technology budgets that large top 25 inst uh, bank institutions have, uh, we not only can facilitate providing best of breed technology, but do it very cost effectively uh, versus them doing it on their own. And anytime we talk, you know, fintech companies, you know, of course, a big trend we've seen is cryptocurrency, right? So there's mention in the presentation that crypto data was one of the items added in 2020. Can you just share, you know, how does Pico help its customers with uh, crypto data? And are there plans to further expand, you know, with cryptocurrency in the future? Yeah, so, so we view crypto as another asset class. And so we provide... Uh, venue connectivity, uh, as well as real time uh, and, and other forms of, of crypto data. Uh, the uh, expansion into crypto actually came from two of our eight client segments. It was driven by market makers and it was driven by retail brokers. We're now starting to uh, see banks and other institutions get approval uh, and look to start to access and, and participate in that market as well. But it's really essentially just another asset class. Perfect. Yeah, love that answer there. Um, love seeing crypto data mentioned. I mean, obviously, there's a world of opportunities in that market going forward. So I want to turn to financials. So, you know, revenue of 157 million last year, and the projection is to grow at a compounded annual rate of 25% over the next couple of years. When you make those projections, you know, how much uh, of that is based on, you know, organic and current customers and how much of it is based on maybe, you know, future customer wins and M&A? Yeah, so so those projections are all based off of uh, organic growth. Uh, we're not including any, any M&A uh, in those projections. Um, and as far as uh, from a client perspective, uh, we project 80% of our growth will come from uh, existing clients. And we saw that over the last year and a half as well. Some of that was COVID related, where it was uh, a bit harder to add new clients. We did add 37 new logos last year, but um, uh, you know it was good to be the incumbent. Uh, there are opportunities to grow uh, with existing clients, and you know we will continue uh, through uh, sales effectiveness to add more clients. But we anticipate uh, significant opportunities with our existing clients to continue to grow. Awesome. And then you did hit a little bit on, you know, international. So, you know, the number of countries that you're in. So international revenue is expected to be 39% in fiscal 2021 and seeing strong growth in the APAC region. Can you talk a little bit, you know, how do you forecast that international uh, revenue growth? And do you see this, you know, turning into more of a 50-50 down the road? Yeah, so, so you're correct. Uh, we're <clears throat> just shy of 40% internationally. Uh, and we've had north of 100% CAGR in Asia over the last three years. Uh, tremendous opportunities in Asia. Uh, um, a lot of our clients in other regions are looking to leverage us. Uh, we're seeing more and more where clients want a single globally trusted comprehensive partner versus having multiple partners in each region. So uh, it go, ties back to that uh, cross-selling in, into, into, into new uh, new geographic scopes. So uh, with Asia, uh, we've expanded pretty aggressively and, and uh, invested heavily over the last several years, and we're seeing that come to fruition uh, and, and more opportunities. But also, when we expand to new geographies, it brings new clients as well. So we're seeing uh, clients uh, in Asia look to leverage us too. And there's not a lot of competition. 
uh, in Asia uh, versus, versus other regions. So, it, you know, we don't expect it to grow at the same pace it's been growing the last three years, but we do see it as a significant growth opportunity. One area we always like to talk about, you know, with finances is recurring revenue, right? So I saw that mentioned in the presentation. Can you break down, you know, what percent of Pico's uh, revenue is currently recurring? And is that an area of future growth as well? Uh, yeah, so, so we're currently 65 to 70 percent recurring revenue. Uh, and we do expect that to grow to, to north of 70 percent over time. Uh, and we we our revenue model is based off of uh, implementation uh, fees, and then we move over once once clients are live into uh, recurring recurring revenue. Uh, the Coral business, which we acquired two years ago, uh, has a traditional classical hardware software one time uh, purchase, uh, and then. 20% uh, maintenance. So our revenue was actually uh, prior to that north of 90% and that uh, has brought that down. We had recently introduced a SaaS model uh, uh, for Corval Analytics uh, and we're getting a, a lot of good interest there. Yeah, we always love hearing about a, a SaaS model and recurring revenue here. Um, you know, definitely uh, we'll keep an eye out on those. Uh, um, another question here, Jared, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, competition, right? So I guess first off, you know, uh, is there a direct competitor for Pico uh, out there? Um, and if so, you know, how does Pico kind of differentiate itself from some of these other companies in the market? Uh, yeah, well, great question. So uh, we don't have a specific one direct uh, or competitor. It, it, it's sort of it's broad across the verticals. So uh, with our foundational mission critical markets infrastructure, which consists of our financial services cloud across the 47 market centers and our global connectivity, that infrastructure, uh, we have a certain set of competitors. Uh, and then we have generally different competitors in the uh, higher margin, higher IP data and, and analytics space. And you know, it is an uh, a interesting ecosystem because uh, in, in certain areas uh, in the data analytics space, some of our competitors use our product and some of them use our network as well. Awesome. Well, Jared, I think that's going to do it uh, for questions today. Um, you know, really liked getting into, uh, you know, all of this. Uh, it looks like we do have some chat questions, though. Um, so if you don't mind, we always like to get to some of those. So I talked about revenue. I talked about, you know, the growth. But we do have a question uh, about that P word out there. Cole wondering, are they profitable? Can you dive into, you know, net income a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. So uh, going back to 2017, uh, in 2017, we grew 40 percent. We had 69 million in revenue and uh, we were profitable uh, uh, north of four million uh, in EBITDA. We met with our, uh, our board uh, later in that year uh, to discuss uh, goals for the future and put together a multi-year plan. Uh, we had just started to expand into Europe. And uh, it was pretty much a consensus with our board to focus on global expansion and to be globally comprehensive. There's this massive $131 billion uh, TAM, total addressable market. Uh, and the goal was really to invest. And we've done that over the last three years. Uh, those investments are tapering off. Uh, the expectation for CapEx is uh, about 3% uh, per year going forward. So uh, additional revenue. Uh, and additional clients uh, will drop to uh, our margin and to the bottom line. 
Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that insight there, you know, and being fully transparent with us here on the show. And Cole, thanks for that question. So again, everyone out there joining us on SPACs Attack today, we had Jared Euster, the founder, the chairman and co-CEO of Pico, that company going public with FTAC Athena acquisition. Ticker is FTAA. Jared, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on the show today. Thank you, Chris. Love your show. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here. You know, another great interview here on SPACs Attack, a fintech play, right? We've talked a lot about fintech plays. And Mitch, I mean, this is one coming from, you know, Betsy Cohen and Daniel Cohen, two people we know very well that love acquiring fintech companies. And they've had a pretty good success rate with their SPAC deals. So, I definitely am excited to hear more, uh, you know, about Pico. What what did you think? Well, I mean, I think you said it best when you talked about all the banks uh, that were here under this list, you know, and I think it really it's all about that access, right? He's talking about how we all want access. I, I do think that's very important. This is very low latency, uh, proprietary network. Uh, and it gives you access to what you want to do is if you're definitely going to be in different global markets, you need to be behind someone like Pico that's going to be worried about the technology, the data, how safe it is. And I think this is something to take a look at. Some A, a company I got to do a little bit more research on so I can fully understand kind of the upside look here. But I think it's one of those that it is a real company. You know, like we, we sometimes ask ourselves, um, is this kind of something to look forward to in the future? No, this is somebody that's doing like business right now, like today, you know, and I think this is what's important. You can put it into that basket. And what we've been trying to do is separate those baskets. I'll put this one in the actual SPAC business, not pre-revenue, just thinking about uh, a business here. This is something that's actually working right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I had to highlight, right, that they partner with 24 of the 25 largest banks. I mean, this this could end up being a thing behind the thing, Mitch, uh, you know, finding out more about how they help these banks and with that data and then regulatory overhead. I, I like that, right? I mean, we're hearing about, you know, regulatory hurdles and new rules that may come into place, you know, what, almost every day. And if this company can help banks and fintech companies with those regulatory rules, that could be a big growth driver too. So uh, definitely uh, worth checking out Pico here again. FTAA is the current ticker. Um, and hopefully everyone enjoyed that interview today. Like always, guys, if you guys appreciated us getting you another company to go ahead and take a look at, maybe a company you didn't think about before, now you got the information that you guys need to be informed Go ahead and check them out on their website. You could definitely do that uh, if you want to know a little bit more or check their investor presentation like always, guys. Uh, hit the thumbs up. Support us as we support you guys. Now up next, let's get to stocks from the chat. Let's do a little bit of ticker time here. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing this. We haven't done it in a little while, so might as well go ahead and get started. Mitch, while we're waiting for those tickers to come in, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on the the Lucid news today. LCID, you know, having over 500 miles of range. 
Uh, do you think they're going to, I mean, I think the answer is definite. Yes. You think they're going to leverage that a little bit in their marketing and going after Tesla, the fact that they're the first to 500 miles. I mean, of course, that's, that's definitely what they're going to be pushing on. The, the real question is, is, I mean, we're talking about the top of the line vehicles and, and how quickly are we going to really see them get adopted? How many sales are they going to get in? And, when do they really take the lift? Because I mean, if we look at it right here on the on the one minute, yeah, it's been doing decent today. But if we look on the daily, you know, this was a company that when it first came out went all the way to sixty four, has not looked like it's wanting to go anywhere. Let's take a look at the monthly chart, and you guys know how I like my monthly charts. Um, so now, one of the things that I can clearly start seeing is that we have recovered the support on the monthly, which was seventeen twenty. So that's kind of the sign that you don't want to see breaking on the downside from here on out. If you want to take this kind of uh, uh, approach here to get in now. And now the question is, can we get back through kind of that 24 and $28 price point? If we can't get through 32, we're never going to try to take out that 64. So that's what I'd be paying attention. One thing that is clear though, you did get a monthly volume pop. So we went from trading 186 million to trading 384 million. So let's see how September closes because it hasn't even closed. So you could end up with a volume bar up here and the stock back towards 24. I'm not saying that it's going to do that, but just more along just pointing out what I see on the monthly chart. Weekly chart has a nice turnaround here, so you don't want to even see this break if you're trying to be a little bit closer time frame. I would use that bottom on this weekly, so this low is 1870. You wouldn't want to see that break on the downside if you're trying to attack this lucid. Now, I mean, it's an interesting stock. I've written it up here before to uh, about 29 when I thought it was going to break to 30 when it first changed over on LCID, but I ended up getting out for a small winner when I thought this one was going to rock it. We'll see what it does now. All right, let's get to those tickers from the chat. What what do we got here, Mitch? I'm seeing DMYI, which we covered earlier in, in the headlines. I mean, DMYI, they had great news today, right? IonQ partnering with Accenture. Um, you know, that's a big win for them. And, you know, they're, they're already able to be used, you know, on Amazon Web, Microsoft Cloud, um, Google Cloud. Uh, I, they just keep coming out with more and more news. And quantum computing, I just think, is one of those markets where, you know, analysts are going to get more excited about the potential growth, too. Yeah, I think this is one that you get to set into a long-term uh, approach, but definitely, I do like the story. Let's keep going. The next one up looks like we got uh, looks like STEM being brought up by Solar. Yeah, we got STEM. So STEM had news yesterday, right, that they have the the uh, first virtual power plant in South America. Um, I think it was in Chile. So we do have shares up 5% today, and I think that's kind of a follow-up from yesterday's news. But the uh, solar saying the warrant's being called in. Yeah, I mean, so so STEM has traded a, above, you know, 1250 for a while, right? So no surprise that the warrants are being called. I, I would caution getting into this one then, going into the fact that warrants are being called, because normally the trend we see is when the warrants are called, we get a little bit of a sell-off, right? And, and then the move, you know, gets the continuation. So I, I like this one, you know, uh, potential down the road, but I would, I tend to stay away from the ones around warrant redemption uh, time. 
All right. So uh, I understand what Chris's approach and definitely I would pay attention to what he's saying there because there's a pattern, but I'll definitely also call out the support, right? So it's 2120. I can clearly see that, you know, it's been holding down there. If you want to go off of that level, that's kind of the level that I would be looking at. Um, but we'll see if it makes a drive back up towards the trend line. It's definitely gone sideways for a, since pretty much March. I mean, you got this break through the support, but eventually it comes back up to the resistance and then just chops in between it. So let's see what happens if it breaks out of that chop zone. And that's S-T-E-M. Thank you, Siller, for bringing a good one up here. Let's go ahead. Next one up, uh, TMC. We kind of already talked about it. Uh, I think that's Joshua that put it up. So I'll just show where that's, it's at right now. Um, but if not, you can just rewind and you can see it has been coming down on the one minute. We'll see if it comes back roaring. Let's go to the next one here. Um, I could talk genie all day, but I'm going to try my best to stay away from that right now. Let's go to Black Sky here. Ben's Worlds. Uh, this is uh, Black Sky technology. Let's take a look. What are you thinking, Chris? Yeah, I mean, Black Sky, I, I like Black Sky. The, the thing right now is we're seeing a lot of retail investors and in some of these trading groups, you know, kind of circulate this one. And uh, I'm a little surprised because this one didn't have as heavy of redemption as some of these others. So it's not really a, a low float, but I think the headline news, right, is that they signed that partnership and got that investment from Palantir. And, and this is one, Mitch, we talk about so much, right, where it really just needed to get the new ticker, the new name, right? Now there's going to be that brand awareness. They're going to be a satellite play, a data play. That They can be all of that. Before it was SFTW, you know, and it, it really kind of got lost in the mix. So I like Black Sky going forward, um, but it is running a lot today last I looked. So I would be uh, cautious with this one today and probably wait, um, you know, to see where we end the day at. What do you think, Mitch? I got to give myself a Mitch, Mitch. We've been talking and talking and preaching, but not following what we're preaching, man. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? Right is one of those kinds of names, Benz. I, I'll let you know. I mean, I've been talking about SFTW for, I think, since day one, since it came out, Chris, because you know how I loved Max R. And I was looking for the next satellite space company to come in, right? And so Black Sky was that one for me at first. And I did a lot of research on it. It did make sense. The technology does make sense. It's cheaper. And that's, I mean, that's what that's what a lot of people want, right? You, you want some cheaper imagery, but better definition. I mean, it, that's it's better technology and cheaper. I mean, that just shows you right there. So now that it's starting to take off, the question is, where does it come back down to? I'm going to look to see if we can get a shot back towards 1050 because I would, I would love for it to fill the gap that it did today. It did gap up and made a move towards 13. Uh, but this is one that I want to have in the long run, because if we look at Maxar and we look at the space industry, I think this is something that you also got to look at going forward into the next couple of years and seeing where is space going to get to and how many of these companies have money to really, I mean, uh, attack their projects and, and their growth. So whether it be Black Sky, Planet, Maxar, I think they're all going to be trying to push to get as many satellites as they can up there so that they can take their ground and then from that point on start selling that data. All right, let's go ahead. Let's keep going. Let's go to the next one up here. Uh, DM Sue, I can't, I can't blame you. I've been waiting for this one to, to really do something also. 
What's going on with DM, Chris? What are you thinking here? We're down towards 755. I yeah, I mean, I thought that would happen uh, if you would have asked me, let's say, two or three months ago. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that this one is that low, right? Uh, I've been a fan of desktop metal for a while, and it's more, you know, the, the long-term approach, right? Uh, the question here is, you know, when can this thing stop falling? They, they are spending a lot of money on acquisitions. And I think the big thing to watch is in their future earnings reports, uh, investors and analysts are going to want to see those uh, acquisitions pay off, right, in terms of revenue growth. So Mm -hmm. we've seen the last couple quarters, you know, it's been really strong revenue growth, but I feel like the acquisitions maybe didn't contribute as much as expected. Um, And also they have some new products coming out, right? They're going to do the dental products. They're going to print, you know, uh, forest and wood products. So we really need to see that story going forward and the growth coming from those acquisitions and new products, I think, to get interest back into this one. But it's really just fallen out of favor here. And I think all of 3D printing has kind of gone that way somewhat, too. Yeah, I, don't, I, I kind of agree with this. I don't think a DM is profitable right now, but that doesn't mean that they're not heading towards that direction. And I think that's what I think everyone's been looking at with DM. To me, I really do like 3D printing in the long run. I mean, it just makes sense for us to move towards that direction. So with this being said, I'm I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to look for a, a hard dip here because if you see anytime that we've had these hard dips, you've had these big volume pops. I think that's people trying to call the bottom. Same thing happened here. 55 million shares traded. I think that was someone trying to call the bottom on this and at near 10. And now the question is, how far down do we go? I wanted to test this low, which is 712. Let it come into the six and fives. And I'll start taking a shot probably off the $4 price point, which won't be too bad. I mean, if I can get it at, let's say, 6 or 5 I'm getting it uh, pretty much at 50% discount from the t- that $10 price point. We'll see if it gets towards that level. I do want to take a shot on this one. Just I, I would agree also with Chris. Let's, let's just wait a little bit, maybe see what happens on the monthly. Can we get a bottom to match this bottom, which is – a low here of 712 we'll see if it holds there next one up in the chat what are you seeing chris there there's so many here uh i saw a ton of dm how about uh ev go evgo um chef remy here uh has has to be bottoming out uh i haven't looked at this chart in a little bit mitch uh evgo Oh yeah, we're hitting we're hitting new fifty-two week lows today, Mitch. Um, yep. This thing actually got a neutral rating and a ten dollar price target from Citigroup yesterday. Anytime you're a former SPAC and you're getting a ten dollar price target, I mean, granted that's above where shares are trading now, but I feel like it's almost essentially being bearish, right? If, if you're saying, hey, this company best case scenario is going to go to ten dollars, you know, on a company that was ten dollars at SPAC time. Uh, you know, I, I worry a little bit about it not getting that analyst love. But EVGo, there, there's so many of these charging plays out there. Um, you know, I prefer prefer ChargePoint right now, CHPT. But Mitch, we'll have to watch EVGO, you know, and see if we uh, keep bottoming out here going forward. All right. And what else do we have? It looks like we lost Mitch for a minute. Um, let's see. So uh, I'm seeing a lot of mentions of Black Sky, Lilium um B- bwmx bwmx better wear mexico so this one I-, I talked about recently right so uh this one has a dividend 
it also, you know, it, it was attacked by, oh, there's, there's my man Mitch back. So I, I didn't know if it was me and I was frozen or you were frozen. So I just started talking, but BWMX Mitch, uh, better wear to Mexico, right? So they are like the Tupperware for, for Mexico. They're also expanding into, you know, smart home products. This one was attacked with a short report not too long ago, but the news out this week was that they're buying back $50 million worth of shares. So, you know, over the last week, we did see shares kind of trade sideways, not getting a ton of love. I mean, that's not a huge buyback amount, but they do pay a dividend, which is called out here, you know, uh, um, in the chat. And I, I kind of like this one going forward. Uh, what do you think, Mitch? All right. I, I'm pretty sure I'm on the right stock. Just making sure here. Uh, I had a little bit of a Chrome issue there. Let's say that. Uh, so we're seeing right now uh, VWMX there. Perfect. I got yep. it. All right. Just making sure we're at 37. We see bottoming action near that 30, 36. I would probably go back towards the weekly, try to see a little bit closer towards that support, seeing where we can hold. And I think, you know, you could also get an attempt to come back down towards that that high here that was a close where it kind of ripped out of. Um, we already wicked there once, so 33.59. I would look for a move down towards that and then a pull right off that level. When, once you get back above 36, I would take a look at this one. Uh, big volume here on the the week as a 28th of june and i'm pretty sure there's someone trapped there with that big volume bar there was 904,000 shares so let's see what happens there and if you can get back up towards that level i'm sure you might run into some overhead supply near let's say 46 but if you can get back through 50 this thing has clear takeoff room from that level uh, another one for me, Mitch, here. Uh, thoughts on SRNG to DNA tomorrow. So that's right. Soaring Eagle will get the changeover. That new ticker, Mitch, which I got to love, right? DNA. Um, we do have shares up 3% today. Um, you know, this thing did trade a little bit higher this week. Um, it had 50% redemption. It's not going to be a small float by any means, right? This was a huge SPAC deal. Uh, I've talked about this one, the story, right? This one... It is a misunderstood company. It, it works in a lot of different sectors, does a lot of things. I mean, from cannabis to DNAs to plant-based food, you, you kind of have a mixed bag thrown in there, right? So if this company could get some uh, attention from you know CNBC this week and other media outlets, I, I think it could bring some eyes on it. But this thing has a heavy valuation already. So I don't know if we're going to see that, that post-SPAC lift on this name. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> is Mitch frozen? No, I'm not frozen. I was frozen, though. Uh, I'm looking to see this one continue, Chris, because, I mean, I think we're starting to see a pattern. I think, you know, this is not that it's even now going into more along the, the mechanics of the trade. Now it's becoming what? A social trade. And I think that's what you're seeing in this one. I think you might see a, a rocket off also in this one. I mean, I'd be paying attention to it. I mean, I if, value, if valuation $10. doesn't work, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Then I guess my comment on valuation isn't isn't going to matter this week. So you, you could be right, Mitch, that uh, we, we could see people get into that one this week. You know, the, the trend is definitely there, guys, right? These DSPAC names, I just always caution, you know, that we have seen them fall pretty dramatically on the backside. So don't chase them. 
You know, if you're yeah. going to make the move, it's, it's scary it, one. if you're going to make the move right now, right? SRNG is what? 10, 1048. Mm-hmm. I mean, now could be a decent time. Put in a stop loss, right? And, and then see if we get that lift. But if you end up chasing this thing a couple days from now when it's 12, 13 bucks, if it does, Oof. remember, I mean, it can fall. Yeah, like like uh, the the person buying up IRNT today. Yeah, I mean that thing was up sixty percent earlier today, and we're up what now? Like oh, twenty three percent now. Uh, coming back a little bit, but I mean, yeah, it's thirty nine dollars. This thing hit sixty dollars this morning. Um, IRNT. I mean, you you got to be careful. Uh, you know this this is short term moves in a lot of these companies. <laughs> Tell Mitch to switch to the edge life. <laughs> I thought everyone uses Chrome. I, I guess I'm the I, only I one. thought, yeah, Chrome I use. I mean, I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look here. Uh, DEH is the one that I, I started pointing out also had heavy redemption. I think I could see this one also make the move. Already has gone down towards 960 on the day. So giving you that downside look already. And I think as long as it holds 10 today, you could see the same kind of reaction come from that one. I want to take a look at Porch here because it is up on the day about 3.25. And you know how I've been calling this out, Chris. For some reason, the Porch group just hangs on, man. Hangs on. One of the ones that I wish I would have grabbed at $10. I mean, imagine that. Like this thing hasn't even come close in this area. Like a lot of specs came down to this area right here. This thing, instead of coming down towards the area after a hard downturn, it pushed right on up almost to the all-time high, came back now. The question is, is it finding support here and starting to make another drive on up? We'll see. I mean, I really I haven't been the best to call this one, so I don't, I'm, I don't think I'm going to do the best here. But I, I think you could kind of see this kind of action where it only has come down twice through this level and both times made quick U-turns above that. I think if it holds kind of up here by $18 – it could be an attempt to take a shot back up there. Um, so you can see that kind of turnaround right here at 18 wick and then really quick scoop back up. The question is, does it make this gap? This when it gap down here. It was a pretty hard gap because it went up here and gapped all the way down towards 20 from about 22 20s. So we've been seeing a lot of gap fills. I'm going to keep an eye on this one. This is PRCH porch group. All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for us. We got Power Hour coming up next. I did put the link here in the chat. Make sure you go what, ahead, what? click that link, head on over. We'll see if Hot Stocks Luke is on today. If not, you're going to have probably Spencer or you'll have, you know, my man Aaron, AB, um, hanging out. So, and, you know, you don't want to miss Power Hour today. Well, I just pinned that up there in the chat there, guys, so you guys can get on over to the Power Hour. And on Power Hour, we're going to be having uh, J-O-B-Y? What? Joby? That's right. Yep, they got Joby, one of those E-V-T-O-L companies today. So I know a lot of you guys were asking about Lilium. We've talked to Archer before. We got Joby coming up on Power Hour today. So, I mean, that's an exciting market, right? E-V-T-O-L. So us. Stay tuned, guys. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com.